Did you know that God's goodness is running after you? You know, we talk about our church being a church that is passionately pursuing Christ. He's pursuing us. He wants us. His goodness is chasing us. So, so thanks be to God for His goodness. Amen. Welcome. Good morning, church family. Good to be with you here in the house of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we'll rejoice, and we will be glad in it. And uh, if you're feeling new here at Windsor Road, uh, my wife Sarah and I, our elders and staff, would love to have a few moments of your time after our services in a place called the Fireside Room. And it's just our hospitality space, and we want you to feel very, very welcome here at home uh, here at Windsor Road. So and if you've got prayer requests or if you have any encouragements or concerns that we can know about, uh, there's a card in front of you if you're new. Uh, if you have a prayer request, if you need more information, there's a card for everything in front of those pouches. So you just, you just put down whatever you want to put down on it, all right? We want to be attentive to you. And, and I just want to wish you all a happy Mother's Day. It's good to see you all here today. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of joy. Um, it, it's a day where we honor motherhood in our church family and how I thank God and how we thank God for his creative and beautiful and fierce power in and through the lives of the mothers in our church. God's glory. Bless you, little girl. <laughs> Bless you. We thank God for uh, just his um, image-bearing power that radiates through your lives on Mother's Day. It's a day of celebration. It's not lost on me, too, that it's a hard day for some of us. Very hard day. Uh, it's a day, for some of us, of pain, quite frankly. Uh, a day of loss. Uh, a day of disappointment, too. And I'm aware of our stories. I'm aware of our stories. Um, uh, there is a Christian leader who serves in spiritual formation at a church in Sacramento called Midtown Church, and her name is Susie Gamez. And she said part of what it means to be a church family pursuing Christ together is to hold the tension of joy and pain. Holding the tension of joy and pain. And so can we be that space here? Can we be a space where both celebration and grief can coexist? Not just on Mother's Day, but every time we gather here together. Can the Spirit of Christ encourage uh, our celebration and both bring comfort to our sorrow? I pray so. I pray so. And, and today I want us to think about the life of someone who speaks out of both of those spaces, the spaces of sorrow and the spaces of celebration. Her, her life held the tension of both pain and joy. And so today I want us to consider, for Mother's Day, I want us to consider the Old Testament saint, Sarah, with an H. Sarah. Sarah displayed patient perseverance in the wilderness of waiting. I've tagged this message, persevering the wilderness of waiting. 
Did you know that Sarah is mentioned more times in the Bible than any other woman? Uh, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, her name shows up almost 60 times in the Bible. And well, her main life is found in Genesis 11 through 23. We'll take a look at that main section. But then the prophet Isaiah has something to say about her. In Isaiah 51, verse 2, where Isaiah calls her the mother of the nation of Israel. And then uh, the apostle Paul has something to say about her life as evidence of God's promises. And you'll find that in Galatians chapter 4. And then the apostle Peter will not be outdone. He has something to say about Sarah's life, particularly her holiness and her imperishable inner beauty. Her imperishable inner beauty. And then, of course, in Hebrews chapter 11, 11, we heard of Sarah's gritty, persevering faith. By faith. Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. So from Genesis to Isaiah to Paul to Peter to Hebrews, uh, Sarah speaks. Sarah speaks. She speaks as one who displayed patience and perseverance in the wilderness of waiting. And now, I can just hear someone uh, pose an objection, politely, courteously, but, but someone might say, yeah, but pastor, I mean, I've read Genesis 11 through 23. And I mean, Sarah's life was, was very much flawed. And, and I would say, yes, whose life isn't? Whose faith isn't flawed? Uh, sometimes we feel inferior because we let others evaluate us based on how we look while we are under construction. Huh? And, so, and so what the Bible has to say, what the New Testament has to say about Sarah's life takes into consideration her entire life. Her finished life, most of the biblical record about Sarah takes place while she was under construction, you see. And so that's what I want us to consider about her life. And I want us to, I want us to consider the journey of her life toward this big idea. Here's what she has to teach us. All of us, all of us, that God's promises keep us. God's promises keep us through our wilderness of waiting. So, so, so the wilderness isn't forever. It's not. What's going to keep you during that season? And it's going to be God's promises. Sarah's going to teach us that God's word is good, that he's good for it. So, so she's no perfunctory fiction for Mother's Day. She really lived. And she really waited, and she really persevered, and her life touches all of us. So, 
Now, I'm not going to go through every one of the almost 60 verses of Sarah's life. You're welcome. <laughs> but there are three episodes that I want us to consider, okay? And, and let me just call, uh, let me just use one word for each episode. I want to talk about barrenness. I want to talk about sister, sister, and then I want to talk about laughter. You say, what? What? Stay with me. <laughs> Barrenness, sister, laughter. That's where we're going, all right? Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to the first book of the Bible. It's the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 11, verses 29 and 30 is where we first are introduced to Sarah, Sarai, Sarah, princess. And if you look at chapter 11, verse 30, there's a very terse statement. It says, now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Why did he have to say it twice? It's intentionally redundant. You see that? For emphasis, for emphasis, Rachel Adelman is a Hebrew scholar, and in her article, Barren Women and the Bible, she says that Sarah was one of six women in the Old Testament with a story of barrenness. Let me give you the other women here. You can write them down and look them up a little bit later. But there's Sarah, she's the first here. Rachel, Rachel, Rebecca, Rebecca. Uh, there's Samson's mother, Samson's mother. There's Samuel's mother, Samuel's mother. And then there's the, the Shunammite woman connected to the prophet Elisha. Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca. There's Samson's mother, Samuel's mother, and the Shunammite woman connected to the prophet Elisha. And, and Dr. Adelman noted that bearing children was of a very highly valued uh, in the biblical world. And she said how uh, maternal death, the mother's death and childbirth, and along with infant mortality meant that half of children born in the ancient world died before the age of five. And Dr. Adelman said that infertility in the biblical world carried with it deep shame because it was just assumed to be the female's fault. There was just this presumption of a flaw or a hidden sin. And that's the context of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. Now Sarah was barren, barren. And it wasn't because of there was any hidden flaw or sin. It's just this terse statement. She had no child. Now keep in mind, too, this is the book of Genesis, the book of origins. So when God speaks in Genesis 1, planets appear, light comes into being, animal life, human life, all at the word of the Lord. That's Genesis 1. But then after 11 chapters, after the fall of Adam and Eve, after the murder of Abel by Cain, after the flood, after the Tower of Babel, the best that can be said of our fallen world, besides 
besides this dear woman, Sarah, is, is that it's barren. The human condition is barren. This is a broken, barren, empty world. And I wonder how many of us can feel that this morning. This, this empty ache that clouds over us. Have you ever wanted something so strongly that you hurt physically any time you thought about it or prayed about it? It's almost involuntary. We can't escape it. And for some of us, it may be the ache of infertility. You had hopes. It's not happened. For others, someone you love is gone. Still others, a job you wish you had, you're not going to get. A way of life that you thought was secure has been snatched from you. you. You may not even be able to put your finger on it, but there's this kind of despondency. And I think it's important for us to just acknowledge this, church, and to grieve this. I, some of us feel like that we just got to put on a happy face when we come into this room. And I'm, I'm wondering if we just need to spend time sitting in Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So, so is our church family a community where we can allow people to come as they are? Can we be a church where you don't have to feel like you've got to put on your game face? Where, can we be a church where you can bring your barrenness in this space right here? Can we? Can we? If you're feeling barren, we're not going to shame you. We're not going to judge you. We're not, we're not going to say that you're just, you just need to grow up. We're not going to accuse you of not having enough faith. Can we say this? Can we say that barrenness comes in many forms? Can we say that it is a part of the human condition because of the fall? Sarah was barren. She had no child. This is true. This is true. And something else is true as well. Huh. Let's keep our eyes on the text here. Because not long after Genesis 11, verse 30, is Genesis 12, verse 1. Do you see that? There, there is a definitive break between human barrenness, human weakness, human inability, Genesis 11.30, and divine speech, Genesis 12.1. You see that? The, the phrase, now Sarah was barren, she had no child, is, is quickly followed by the phrase, now the Lord said, now the Lord said, one scholar put it this way, the marvel of biblical faith is that barrenness is the arena of God's life-giving action. Barren is where God begins to do his best work. Yes, yeah, while Sarah's story starts with irreparable hopelessness, God's abilities are not dependent on her capabilities. His speech overrides her barrenness. Now the Lord said, I will make you a great nation. Sarah was joined to that promise. 
Yeah, but Lord, my husband's 75 and I'm 65. I'm, 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 I'm collecting Social Security. We, we, we have no children. And God's response was, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Trust me. Trust me. Can we do that? Not, not knowing how he will do it or when he will do it. Only that he will do it. We just need to wait. Oh, man. Is that a, is that a four-letter word or what? <laughs> wait. Wait. That's so hard. Waiting, waiting, waiting. I have a hard time waiting just to fire up my phone. Waiting. And yet that's, that's, that's Sarah's life. Waiting. Waiting on the Lord is the continual daily decision to say, God, I will trust you and I will obey you even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way I want them to and they may never turn out the way I want them to, I'm betting everything on you, God, and there is no, I have no plan B, God. Just, just you, just you. See, And that's the temptation, isn't it? That's the temptation. The temptation for us to concoct a, a plan B. See, And that gets me, that gets me to the word sister sister yeah yeah so so in genesis chapter 12 the lord calls abram and sarah and they leave ur for canaan and then on arrival there's a famine so they go to egypt you can see this in chapter 12 when you look at it and 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 uh once they get to to egypt abraham says something very strange he says sarah you're so beautiful that's not the strange thing that's a, that, he's, a, he's okay there. But you're beautiful. Here's what's strange. If I tell Pharaoh that you are my wife, he'll kill me and capture you. So then, say you're my sister. Say you're my sister. And then in verse 13, 12, chapter 12, verse 13. So that it will go well with me because of you, and that my life will be spared for your sake. What? What? And sure enough, you know, they get down to Egypt and Pharaoh and the princes of Egypt saw Sarah's beauty and, and they took her and they paid him. I'm not making this up. It's there in your Bible. So Abram put her in a vulnerable situation with this deception, but, but God spared them. God spared them. And, and so, you know, uh, and and. and and God calls us to be patient and full of perseverance in our wilderness of waiting. I tell you, he was very patient because this say you're my sister ploy shows up three times in the book of Genesis. It shows up in Genesis chapter 20 uh, with Abraham again, and then it shows up uh, in Genesis chapter 26. I think about what, what is that about? What is that about? It is about what happens when I try to help God out with my plan B. Yeah. As if God needed help keeping his word. And, and 
Even Sarah tries to help God out. Uh, and you can see this in Genesis chapter 16. After 10 years, she's waited, and she's waited, and she's frustrated that she's not had children. And so she, she, she tells Abraham, my servant Hagar is in that tent. You go in there, and I want to have some children by her. Now go. And, and her plan worked. And Hagar had a son, Ishmael. And, you know, it, it's, it's a picture of, okay, we really want something, and then we get it, but then we realize we don't really want it, and, but we can't undo it. And by trying to help God out, it, it, just, it just complicated and she ended up blaming Abraham, and she became alienated from Hagar, and Abraham's not really showing any leadership, and wow, here's the beautiful thing. Even though the Bible is a story of people who messes up again and again, it is also the story of the God who is faithful. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have descendants, like the number of stars in the sky, and that through their descendants, all of the nations on earth will be blessed. And even so, even after their shenanigans with Pharaoh and Hagar, you would think that God would just kind of go, you know what, every time I try to help you, you mess things up, it's over. That's not what God does. He leans into their lives. So in Genesis chapter 17, God appears to Abraham and he repeats the covenant promise. God reveals himself in a mystical, trance-like, smoking pot vision and he gives them new names. Abraham become, Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah and their new names mean a new beginning. And furthermore, in Genesis chapter 18, God appears to Sarah and, and repeats the covenant promise. And then this conversation occurs with Abraham there, but it occurs where the Lord shows up and, and there's a tent flap between the Lord and Sarah. And, and Sarah laughs to herself on the other side of the tent flap, am I to give birth to a child at 90 years of age? And we shouldn't be too judgy because, because Abraham himself laughed in Genesis 17, 17. But God's not going anywhere. God wanted them both to know that his promises are not based on their performance. His promises are based on his word. Think about it. They have finally met someone that they can't ruin. They have been invited into that which they don't deserve and, and can never earn. Friends, that's what we call grace. In their barrenness, they have been invited to experience God's word of grace. Grace is God's declaration to a believer that she can never disappoint him. God will never say, you've done this umpteen thousand times, I'm through with you. Instead, because I am in Christ, I've been adopted into the Father's family. I've been given the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. God looks at me. God looks at us. That's my son. That's my daughter. Isn't he handsome? Isn't she beautiful? And when I find it hard to believe that God still loves me, though I fail, Romans 5.10 preaches to my heart for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So the God who is committed 
enough to pursue me while I was his enemy will never turn his back on me now that I'm his child. Do you believe that? And on the flip side, God's grace means that I can do absolutely nothing to please God more than just being who I am in Christ. Grace means that if you belong to God, you've been called to that which you, you can't, that you cannot destroy. The, the foundation of your hope is not you, it's God. The foundation of your hope is not you having a good day and getting all your checklists done. It's God. It's God. So then how do you express your faith? Well, let's go back to that four-letter word. Wait! Waiting is an act of faith, and it's so difficult for us action-oriented Americans because we want to employ some of that Yankee ingenuity. We want to do, we want to do, but faith in God simply means waiting. Micah chapter 7, verse 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the Lord of my salvation, the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. <laughs> waiting, waiting. Sarah was a woman in her 60s who became a woman in her 70s and then in her 80s, and she waited. She moved from Ur through Haran to Canaan to Egypt and back, and she waited. And her body weakened, and her husband grew gray, yet she waited, she waited, she waited. God, why do you make us wait? You could have brought Isaac sooner, or you could have just given the promise later. Why, why can't you just make the announcement nine months from now it's going to happen, not 25 years from now? Huh? If God can do anything, why doesn't he just bring us relief? And answers, now, now. Have you thought about that? Here's my thought. Here's the scripture's thought. <laughs> that, that which God is doing in us as we wait is just as significant as the thing we're waiting for. You missed that. Let me say that again. That which God is doing in us as we wait is just as significant as the thing we're waiting for. Waiting is part of the process of becoming who God wants us to be. Waiting. So Elizabeth Elliot, who I have mentioned before, the wife of slain missionary Jim Elliot, in her final book that was published uh, after her death, there was a book titled, Suffering is Never for Nothing. And she wrote about uh, what she did when called on to wait. She said this, what do you do when you have to wait? She wrote these words, I don't know any simpler formula for peace, for relief from anxiety, than the very practical, very down-to-earth word of wisdom, just do the next thing. Just, just do the next thing. She said, that has gotten me through more agonies than anything else I could recommend. 
just just do the next just the next thing whatever the next wise thing the next right thing waiting 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 is part of the process but waiting is not forever so barrenness sister here's this word laughter laughter and that word shows up in Genesis chapter 21 because finally after 25 years finally after 9,125 days Isaac was born Genesis 21 1 through 3 says the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him Isaac and Isaac's name means he laughs he laughs three times and it's so fascinating because if you look at Genesis 21 1 through 7 three times the text states the child's name Isaac 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 why because the child of promise was not going to be Abraham's nephew Lot and the child of promise was not going to be Abraham's servant Eleazar and the child of promise was not going to be Hagar's son Ishmael the child of promise through whom all nations would be blessed, this child would be Abraham's and Sarah's. The child of promise through which the entire nation, through which the Messiah would come. Isaac's life is evidence of God's faithfulness. Only God could have done this. And so Sarah's laugh of doubt and Abraham's laugh of doubt became a laugh of joy. Isaac was born from the bodies of barren ones. And that's why they're laughing. And that's why God told them to name their son. He laughed. So what we have is a story about a woman of God who trusted the word of God for a long, 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 long time. She did not quit. Please. Do not quit. You never know when your Genesis 21-1 will arrive. You don't. Hebrews 11-11 says that by faith, even Sarah herself. So, so it's not just that Sarah believed. It's that Sarah herself, personally and individually, apart from Abraham, she believed. And that, that may seem like a very small point, but it's actually huge when you consider that Abraham is called the, the, the father of the faith. But, but here it, it plainly says in Hebrews eleven eleven that Sarah herself believed. So she didn't live off the faith of her husband. No wife can live off of her husband's faith. No husband can live off of his wife's faith. Neither can children live off the faith of their parents. God has no grandchildren. It's never enough to say, I'm related to a believer. Heaven, heaven is home to those who know Christ, not to those who know someone who knows Christ. Salvation must be personalized. And Sarah made it personal. She believed God herself. And that's why we're talking about her. In the Bible's history of salvation, 
her son Isaac carried the entire nation of Israel. And from Israel and out of Israel, another son would be born. Matthew 1.1 names Jesus as the son of Abraham, which means equally the son of Sarah. And her faith helped usher our Savior into the world. And here's what I want us to keep in mind, too. Sarah didn't live to see the ultimate end of her faith. She, she lived for 37 years after Isaac was born, but she didn't live long enough to meet Isaac's wife, Rebecca. And she never met her grandsons, Jacob and Esau. And she never knew about her many great-grandchildren of the tribes of Israel that would emerge from Jacob. She never knew of the story of Joseph, this incredible story that we read about in Genesis. She would not see the descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. See, what God starts in us will go on without us. And I think that thought is good news. And here's why. It means that his faithfulness to my children and my grandchildren doesn't depend upon my personal presence. By God's grace, what he starts with us will continue for many generations to come. And I think that's true for all of us here. So we, you know, we can't just walk away from this story of this woman who showed patience and perseverance in the wilderness of waiting, and we can't say, well, that's a nice story. I don't know what that has to do with me. Here's what it has to do with us. We are her children. So let brotherly love continue. Jesus said, who are my brothers and my mothers and my sisters and my sons and my daughters? Those who do the will of God, that's who. Christ has given us a large family, and if we are willing, if we are willing, we look around and we can see that there are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters in the Lord's family, in the Lord's family. And for me, that looks like Ken and Patty, and that looks like Rocky and Charlotte, and that looks like Dave and Thelma, and that looks like Dwayne and Linda, that looks like Roy and Martha, that looks like Masood, that looks like Harold and Debbie, Norm and Mary Ellen, and, and I'm just telling you about those folks from Ohio and Oklahoma. I haven't even gotten to us. See, it looks like us, together, as a family, as we begin uh, this 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 this. This wilderness dependence upon the Lord, patiently persevering, looking to the Lord day after day, realizing that we're all still under construction and that the story of our lives is not done yet. So don't quit. Endure. Don't shrink back. Because one day, our barrenness will turn to laughter. It's promised. The Psalms tell us that. The waiting will be over one day when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Amen?